Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Dave Van Horn. Thanks for joining us all today. We're going to talk recession with David Van Horn, one of the principals and the founder of PPR Note Company. Today, Dave, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. It's always optimistic to talk about recessions, but sure. So today I want to address how a potential recession might impact the investing into discounted notes secured by real estate. And uh, the first question I have is, from your experience, and we've both seen these before, we've seen this movie a few times, what's the first change that becomes visible to note investors when there's an economic downturn? Well, for the note business, it's almost identical to the real estate business. So uh, mortgage notes are in direct car, their values are in direct correlation to real estate values. So it would be the same impact as a real estate investment portfolio. Your portfolio would fall in value in an economic downturn. So here's the analogy. If I owned real rental real estate, for example, and it fell in value, it would really only be an issue if I was forced to sell the property. So if I had a cash-flowing property and it was a positive cash flow and it fell in value, well, I would just continue to cash flow till the market turned around. And it's the same way with notes. So if I had a note, uh, just because my portfolio might fall in value doesn't mean that I would, um, you know, be wiped out or anything. It would, it would impact me more if I were to sell the note. So in other words, that happened to us back in 2008. So we bought a bunch of notes that had equity. Uh, the market fell dramatically, and the, you think about the real estate values. They plummeted, and our portfolio yep. fell, and then our returns weren't as high, but they were still pretty significant. So it was uh, – and then assets we bought from that point forward were much cheaper. So there were times when we paid a lot of money for uh, a full equity second. There were times we paid $0.60 cents on the dollar for a second that was fully covered Mm -hmm. with equity. So, and then all of a sudden assets got what? Real, real cheap. You know what I mean? Their assets, when the heyday of the bottom of the market, we we paid, you know, pennies on the dollar type thing. So, so you went from this large amount down to a small amount. So your portfolio fell, but it didn't mean you didn't make any money on it. You didn't make as much money. And then when you went to go purchase again, they were much cheaper. And you're seeing that now. You're seeing real estate values start to go back up in a lot of areas. But my portfolio is worth more. And our cash, we're getting cash outs, I, crazy cash outs. We had um, two recently. They were like, one was like a, it was literally like a $139 note. And we, you know, we cashed out at $56,000 or something, you know. And then we had one, it was like a $10,000 type note, you know, and we cashed out at like 140 grand, you know, so you're seeing these crazy cash outs. Now you wouldn't have those if you didn't buy them in the down market and now the market's going up. So your portfolio might be worth more. And then when you go to buy assets now, they're a little more expensive, but your modifications are different. So I'll give you an example. If I had a second mortgage with a payoff of 40,000 in a down market, I may might pay five or 10 grand for that. And I might, you know, let a homeowner give us a discounted payoff of 20,000 on that. Well, in an up market with full equity or equity above and beyond the first and second mortgage, well, we might only discount the 38,000 or 35,000 as opposed to 20. 
Do you see the difference, Jeff? Absolutely. I've seen it in my own portfolio during these cycles. Here's what I'm really saying. It's not about, it's going to sound kind of cliche or something, but it's it's not about what happens to us. It's about how we react to what happens to us. Say that again one more time because that is the key takeaway right there. So, so it, it's not about what the real estate market does or what the note market does, which are very similar. It's really about how we react to the market. So it's it's really not about what happens. It's really about how we react to it and are we ready for it. So like we're getting ready for our, our year-end off-site meeting with our upper management team, right? And we start to plan the next year, and we also plan the first quarter. And one of the first, what do you think we're, we're talking about? Obviously, strategy and goal setting and all those types of things. But one of the things we do is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, those types of things. And we're looking at what could potentially, you know, happen in the next year, that type of thing. So, so it's not like – not that we can think of everything – but we try to be as prepared as we can We can be, and then we react to the marketplace. Like today we do, you know, the exit strategies differ in an up market or a down market. Like in an up market, you'll see a lot of deed and low. In a down market, you almost see no deed and low, especially with second liens. So your, your exit strategies start to shift. Just like now, you know, a lot of funds are holding more notes instead of selling all their notes because the notes keep going up in value so fast. So it's like, why would I sell it? It'd be, you know, or, or they would wait, or they wait for pay history, for example. So if you have a year of pay history, or you have 18 months of pay history, those notes could sell for par. So it's like, yep. you know, you're, you got to, and you saw shifts in in our in our uh, investment vehicles to our investors. You saw where, for years, you would see the notes paid a higher return than the fund, and then now you've seen a switch where the fund pays more than the notes. So it's it's the market's change. That's what's happened, and that's why those uh, things develop like that. Well, it's funny. People mouth the words, yeah, the markets go up and down in their cycles and things change. But when they change, they, they, they give you that RCA dog look like, what's happening here? It doesn't make sense. It, it's uh, opportunity, uh, though, Jeff. Absolutely. Like, I, I mean, it's a down market. Is, it's really, I mean, um, you know, it wasn't, I think about a month ago I wrote an article about that, like making money in all markets. So it's really about having availability of cash. So if yep. it's a down market and there's blood in the streets, whoever, cash is king. Whoever has the money can go out and scoop up deals. Now, you saw that, like, in the last downturn. Florida deals were selling for peanuts. I mean, there were houses selling so cheap that were fairly new construction. You couldn't build a house at cost for that if you were the builder. They were selling half of what it cost the builder to build it. Well, how do you lose on that if you can afford to buy it, hold it till the market turnaround? You're going to make a killing, and they did. I have a very good buddy of mine in Florida. He's like, I am so upset I liquidated as many properties as I did and that I didn't hold everything. He said, I should have held everything. He goes, I have properties I picked up at the courthouse steps for fifty grand that are worth three hundred grand now. Because I just let them go, fixed them up, and sold them like normal instead of holding them. He goes, I'm kicking myself. So, you know, that's the time to be thinking about it. But I think people tend to think like the herd, and they're too late to, this, to the party sometimes. Huh? Well, and what you highlighted there, Dave, was that a lot of times the best moves are the ones we don't make. Right. That guy selling them, he should, he should not have done that. 
Uh, and he learned by it, I'm sure. Now, oh, now yeah. just before we before we go on to the next question, would you give the layman's readers digest version of a deed in lieu for some of our newer <laughs> listeners who may, sorry, maybe not get carried away uh, at the moment. <laughs> they probably don't know that one. Yeah, go ahead. It's similar to if uh, you know if you didn't want your car anymore, and you said I can't afford my car payment, so I'm going to drive down to the car dealership hand my car over to the dealer or hand the title back to them. Usually they're holding the title though. Um, with a house, it's it's similar. You have the deed, even though you still have a mortgage, and it would be like you going down to the bank and saying, I can't afford this house anymore. Let me sign the house back over to you, Mr. Banker. And then I would sign the deed over to the bank. And in a lot of those cases, there's no further recourse where you know the bank pursues the borrower. They kind of agree to accept the ha property back. And, it, exactly. and what the advantage to the bank is it just speeds everything up. They don't have to go through the foreclosure process. The only downside is a deed in lieu can actually run you seven to nine hundred bucks or so, and you got to have clean title. Or what are you getting back? Are you getting something back with a banged up title? So there's a little bit of a risk to a deed in lieu. It's not always the slam dunk. Okay. Uh, moving on, when foreclosure becomes a reality, uh, the, the note holder successfully uh, forecloses and, and now he owns this property. And if it's a first position note, like w what I'm mostly dealing with my clients, that means they own it free and clear uh, at that point. A lot of people, though, are under the mistaken belief that selling that property and getting their money out is, is always on the menu. Would you please explain how that's not true? <laughs> well, it depends on what you got into it, right? So, and also there's other things that um, there's could be costs to keep building, right? It could be back taxes, municipal liens, those types of things, HOA fees. So it's a, I won't say a ticking time bomb, but it could be a, a thing that's uh, growing the longer you hold it. So in first world, it's something that you want to move on quickly. And I think what happens sometimes is, you know, the property's not worth the market value or what you paid for the note or something. It's possible, right? The property could have fell in value or could have fell in condition, especially if it was vacant or vacant for a long time. You know, maybe the pipes froze. I don't know. All these things could have happened, right, or got broken and vandalized. Or So now you have the property back and you have to make a decision. Do I – it's really – we have metrics on this type of thing where they make this uh, decision tree decisions, right? Do I – because it's, it's – an old uh, guy who kind of taught me the business years ago was like, you are where you are. It's not about what you paid for it. You are where you are. The asset's worth what the asset's worth. Now it's what's the best exit under the current conditions. Forget about everything else. It's about how your whole portfolio does. So on an asset-per-asset asset basis, you respond accordingly. It's not about what you paid. It's not about what you got in it. You know, it's about what's the most I can capitalize on this asset. And it's about kind of like moving in all directions at once towards the best to exit door, right? So it's so at that point in time, it's what, where can I generate the best revenue? What's the best return on my capital? What's the quickest return on my capital? Those types of things start coming into play, and you start to look at, do I sell it as is? Is is it better fixed up and rented? Is it better fixed up and sold? Is it better fixed up and sold with financing? Whatever those choices are, and now you're going down that path. Um, we always prefer to sell rather than rent if we can, for example. And some some of what depends on that is what kind of boots on the ground you have in what particular area. 
but you tend to uh, operate in a, in a smaller number of states most of the time, so you can kind of build those teams out. The other thing is um, if you go to sell, a lot of times um, we like to sell property to turnkey uh, real estate investors sometimes, and the reason being is because they're usually an LLC. It's not an owner-occupant where if we're originating loans, you run into more of the Dodd-Frank type issues, that type of thing with an owner-occupant. Whereas if you sell to, you know, an out-of-state investor uh, you don't, or whatever, you're selling to an LLC, it's a commercial loan, and now you can be really flexible. Uh, so we'll, you know, there are some of our strategies. Right. Well, and I, and I remember in 1981 having to foreclose on uh, two or three properties, and, and the problem was then it w- wasn't that the pro- the the homes were in bad condition or anything else. It's just that you couldn't give those properties away, and I would have loved to sell them at at ninety percent of of the current market value. But FHA, for heaven's sakes, at the point at that point was sixteen and a half percent. Prime was twenty. You know, uh, figure out how much real estate was moving about that point in time, right? So renting them out was was it. Because the only sales uh, that were happening at that point, uh, if you were a seller, it started with the syringe being inserted in your jugular and you telling them when they had enough blood you were willing to go. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, hey, sure, there are cases where you um, – actually, we had a property in like a real bad part of L.A. where we like did a deal with like a church. But, yeah, you can donate it to the church maybe and take a write-off. Maybe maybe the write-off's more than what you'd get for it, you know. So it's really a business decision. You're liquidating. It, you're, you're talking about rare scenarios and crazy worst-case scenarios. Uh, but there's a uh, – I don't know. There's always somebody that's willing to buy something. You know, it could be a neighbor. It could be – we've had all kinds of crazy uh, scenarios. Well, and I found the buyers for that properties, uh, that those three properties, uh, two years later at the end of '83. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah, interest rates were were down to only 11 or 12 at that point. I'll give you an example, Jeff. I had a property one time in Michigan, and it was it was sitting on like 10 acres, I think it was. And we, you know, working with the borrower, working with the borrower, it was a foreclosure situation, and the guy had a you know a hard luck story, lost his job, all kinds of stuff. His wife left him, and um. We were able to get. Uh, we had a timber company come in and do a thinning of the timber on this property, and we got like ten grand just for um, oh. taking out some timber. So sometimes something out of the blue that you wouldn't. And you, the only reason I thought of that is because we were we were involved in some mobile home parks, and I remember we cleared some land for like a storage center that we were building, and and we had like RV parking, and we sold off a bunch of timber and. You know, we got the idea. I took the idea from one real estate deal and said, you know, hey, maybe we could do something with the timber. And next thing you know, we got like 10 grand out of this guy. And we didn't even cut down his timber. We just thinned it. And we got 10 grand. So sometimes there's a solution there somewhere. It's really, it's back to how do you react to a situation? What do you think of? And And finally, uh, what's your view, Dave, of the next few years for our national economy? Um, well, you know, well, there, it, 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 there's, there's some funny things going on, right? So you have, um, you have a new administration, obviously, and, you know, what are they going to do? And you also have, um, well, for, the first thing you said was for a few years. 
and most economists will tell you if you go out more than two years, you're you know you're starting to BS everybody. <laughs> so so that's part of it. But you know you got you got a couple of things. One is obviously Trump got in, and and whether you agree with Trump or not, um, if you look at him in regards to our investment vehicle, it's you know it's pretty significant for us. And and the reason being is some of the things that are proposed. I'm not saying you know Trump was a was a great thing for everybody that was out out in the you know you can't please all the people all the time but in our world we weren't expecting it but at the same time we are where we are right and um you know he's talking about lowering corporate taxes keeping jobs here things like that and changing obamacare which our rates doubled you know i have 28 employees so talked about the regulations how we're overregulated, which we are we're very heavily heavily regulated uh, from the banking side, whether it's Dodd-Frank, CFPB, compliance, all the things we have to go through right now. And I think oh, – it's um, to death. It's to death. Well, we're already seeing movement just in the change of administration. We're already seeing banks more relaxed and ready to release more assets, for example. Really? So they were, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So banks were very nervous, didn't want to deal with anybody. The overregulation was killing them. So I think you're going to – you could potentially see some change there. Um, and we are a real estate-backed investment, right? And who's bigger in the real estate than uh, yours truly, Mr. Trump? So, you know, is he going to sign into law any derogatory real estate laws? I seriously doubt it. Um, so there's a lot of confidence in the real estate market right now. So, you know, these are all things that make our investment vehicle uh, great again, right? Make make our investment vehicle great again. So – and. The other side is we're private placement. We raise private equity, which helps small business. Will they do anything detrimental to, you know, the raising of capital? For like, for example, there was talk of raising the accredited investor uh, requirements and making it harder. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so it's going to be an interesting. We're in an interesting time where, um, you know, you got the House and and you know, the Republicans have all the all of it's sewn up right now. So can they get something done? What kind of change will they make? But when you really think about the overall economy, regardless of which party got in, you kind of had the same problems, right? So, and can they fix everything? And there's probably like two or three main areas, right? But can they fix them all? And the answer is they can probably fix, you know, two out of three. And, you know, of course, Americans want everything. We have the entitlement mentality a lot of times and we, we want the government to do everything for us. So, you know, are they going to be able to fix everything? You know, can you fix Social Security, Medicare, um, expand infrastructure, lower our taxes, and improve growth? I mean, well, how do you do all of that? You can maybe do a couple of those, but how do you do them all? You know, and that and that's the thing. But I think Trump, Trump you know, I've seen some of his stuff that he says. Now, what he says and what he can do are two different things maybe, but – um, I think he will try to cut the corporate tax rate, and I think that will start to bring jobs back home and have a big impact. Um, Me too. I think they were, there was also talk of changing the tax structure and the tax rates. You know, if they had, I don't know, um, some kind of, you know, it depends how they change that. And there was also talk of that value-added tax. If they could do the right combination of those things, I think you know, it could make it could go a long way into solving a lot of things, especially – and then the other thing is how do you aggressively hold down costs of Social Security and health care? Do they raise the retirement age a little bit? 
it's something that should have been done gradually. It's politically unpopular, and, and they've never done it, you know, and that's, that's one of the problems they have, right? I mean, so, you know, because people are living longer. It just doesn't make sense anymore. So some of it will depend on what they do with some of that stuff. And I think, yes, they need to jumpstart the economy. I think any kind of infrastructure, they are correct. I, I travel a lot, and you're right. Some of our airports are like third-world countries. They do need – you know, we have bridges that are, and are, I don't know, on the East Coast anyway. Um, I don't know about you guys out there, but we have some stuff that's pretty bad shape that hasn't been looked at in a while. We don't have a very robust public transportation system. You know, compared to, you know, I go to LA and I'm like, you guys have no transportation. It's like a right, shock. Exactly. No wonder, no wonder the 405 is a parking lot every day. You don't have any, you don't have any public transportation. And I, and you go to New York or you go to, you know, I'm in Philadelphia or, or DC, and, and you see like they have high speed rail line, and you don't have any of that on the West Coast. And it's like I don't even know how you guys function without that stuff. But it, it, you can see it with the traffic, right? So. I think, you know, infrastructure could be a good thing, could start jobs, but then again, you're raising up taxes again, and we already have trillions of dollars of debt. So, you know, do we want to have $30 trillion of debt? You know, you're kicking the can down the road, and you're going to slow the economy later, you know, if, if that were to happen. So, um, but I think I do like the idea of rolling back rules and regulations. Every time you put a new rule out, you take two off the table. It's brilliant, you know. The other thing is, can he do anything with the FDA? I mean, you have friends dying, and it's because you know they can go to they can go to Mexico to get the drug, or they can go to South America or go get an operation in Thailand or something. But you can't do it here. Well, that's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, and why does it that's take criminal. so long? Well, they really need to revamp this thing. You know, Europe has all these drugs. You know, you go to Italy and get cured, but you can't get cured here. Like, really? I gotta wait seven years for you, you know, to go through a bureaucratic messed up system and payoffs and whatever. So those types of things. Now it's gonna be interesting with the Federal Reserve. Um, he's gonna have a couple of immediate appointments. He might have another uh, two in another year, giving him like four out of the seven governors. So that should be interesting. You know, he talked about his trade and stuff, but I don't think that's really the issue. I think some of that is fluff. You know, to make, I guess, to make America feel good again or the unions feel good again. But I think it, it really, it's really going to come down to this uh, corporate tax dropping and working on this uh, reducing the regulatory burden. Just those two things alone, you'd be surprised how many jobs start to come back and uh, change the world there. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, you know, there's a, it, it's a unique time in history, but it's really, can they do something impactful with health care and Social Security? You know, not just so much abolishing Obamacare, but can you can you replace it? I mean, come on. We all know the insurance companies are a scam. When I think about when I go – there's two things in, my, in this world that really irk me. One of them is when I go to college and I have no idea what it cost me. Like my son went to college. I still – to this day, he already graduated. I still don't know what I paid. <laughs> it's like I feel like a <laughs> game. And then the other shell game is when you go to the hospital. What business can you walk in the door and you have no idea what, you know, to get your appendix out is going to cost or something? You know, it's always this, oh, uh, you know, it's just smoke and mirrors. And it's got to stop. And, and, you know, I just got a bill. I went to, I forget, I was at the doctor's or something. And you get the bill and it starts out at this price and then they take off. The, and it's just like you have no idea what the, it's, it's actually false advertising. Because they sell you premium based on your deductible, and you can't. Nobody can figure it out. You don't even know what your deductible means, you know. And the whole system's 
I want to say rigged, but it is rigged, and nobody knows what something costs. Well, what other industry can do that and get away with that? And and it's unfair to the public, and, and actually the public's tired of it, I think. They're tired of being defrauded out of their money. It's one thing to go to the hospital and know what something's going to cost me, but I could get my appendix out here, I get my appendix out in San Diego, and I guarantee you it's not going to be the same price, right? It's going to be, who knows? Right. We don't even know. Do you know if it's cheaper in San Diego or in Philly? And the answer is nobody right. knows. And you could go to five houses or five hospitals in Philadelphia, and they'd all have five different prices, and you could have the same plan and the same network. And you're like, what's going on? And you're like nobody knows. So I you know, hopefully they can fix some of this stuff. But no, I think it's a it's a perfect opportunity for them to do something. I think they will do something. Now, how far will they move that needle? You know, it's kind of like what the economists tell you. Here's the things they should do, but how many of them will they be able to do or pull off with, uh, you know, all the other special interests in the way, right? <laughs> it is. It's, it, and that goes, that, that's a two-edged sword, isn't it? In, in 60 seconds, as we get ready to, to close here, what do you think is in store for calendar year 2017 for interest rates in real estate? You know, that, that's an interesting part. It really comes back to inflation, and they've been having tr – they're trying to – actually, they want inflation right now so they can try to start to raise rates, and they it's almost like they can't even get inflation to happen right now. So it will be interesting to see. I tend to think, you know, if you start – I hate to use this phrase, build a wall, but just take the uh, theory of the wall – you know, where you start to keep – say you do keep jobs here and you have uh, fewer jobs going elsewhere, well, isn't your cost of labor here going to go up? And if your cost of labor here goes up, I tend to think inflation starts to follow maybe because, if you know, if I can't get someone to, you know, I don't know, mow my lawn, um, now all of a sudden it's more money to mow my lawn, right, um, or I can't mm -hmm. find somebody to work in my restaurant. I'm going to have to raise the prices of my restaurant because I have to pay more to get help. You know what I mean? So it depends. As there's more and more jobs, there's fewer and fewer workers, right? So there's, I think, the cost of things will start to go up. Do you agree with that, or I think the, the uh, rates will still be will still be historically low by this time next yeah, for year. For a while, I do. Whether I do. whether it's under four or four and three quarters, uh, your guess is as good as mine, but. Um, but I, I I really expect that we'll be able to slip by 2017 without any horrible rises. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times for us, um, interest rates tend to be the accelerator or decelerator, depending on which way the market's moving, more so than the reason. So, um, but we have a ways to go. I mean, there's um, – for inter interest rates really don't affect the product we buy, and they don't really affect the modifications we have. Uh, they do affect the, people, the ability of people to buy properties, and they could affect our cost of capital, but they would have to go up pretty dramatic from where they are. I mean, look at our preferred right. returns today, right. look at what money is in a bank. So it's a pretty far gap. I mean, it would have to really move a lot to impact us, you know. So I agree with you. I think it will oh, be cool. a little while first. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dave. And we really appreciate you joining us on these podcasts. I get such great feedback when people listen to them. We'll catch everybody next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Dave Van Horn.